Well, it's 2019, if you can believe it. If you can believe it. I was born in 1970, and I always thought about it being way out there the year 2000. I remember as a kid thinking, I'm, I was born in 70. In the year 2000, I'll be 30. Well, that's a long time ago. That was 20 years ago. Amen. And so time is marching on, and it's 2019. Now, the question that people have when, they, when it comes to God's plan of redemption and, and his ultimate return to the earth, and that whole plan that's laid out in Scripture, the plan of God that we've been looking at these last few weeks, one of the big questions that people have is, okay, where are we? on this timeline? Where are we in God's plan? Well, in order to answer that question tonight, we need to do a little bit of review of some of the ground that we've covered so far. We, have, we are covering in this looking at the plan of God. We're looking at two things. We're looking at two templates, if you will. We're looking at the template first of the Jewish wedding, the ancient Jewish wedding model. And we're also looking at the template of the feasts of Yahweh, the feasts that Israel celebrated that are given to them in Levit- and to us in Leviticus chapter 23. Now, so far, where we are in this study is that we've covered the first four of the seven feasts, okay? And you'll see the names of those feasts up on the screen. We've looked at the Passover, We've looked at the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We've looked at the Feast of First Fruits. And we've looked at the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, right? We talked about that last Saturday night. Amen? So really, where we are is we've looked at the first four feasts, and those are the spring feasts. And now we're kind of moving into the second grouping of feasts because there was really two groups of the seven feasts. The first four are the spring feasts. The second three are what's called the fall feasts. Okay, so you had your group of four in the spring and a group of three in the fall. Now here are the three fall feasts that we're going to be looking at starting tonight over the next couple of weeks. We're going to be looking tonight at the Feast of Trumpets. Then we're going to be looking at the Day of Atonement. And then lastly, we're going to be looking at the Feast of Tabernacles. So these are the fall feasts uh, as we're looking at these. Now, uh, when you look at this in, a, in the calendar year, you look at a calendar year and you look at the dates of, as to when these feasts would, would lay out on a calendar, the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost was... Why was it called the Feast of Weeks? Because it was seven weeks and a day after the Feast of First Fruits. It was 50 days after, after First Fruits. And, uh, and so we know that uh, the Feast of Passover was on the 14th of Nisan, and then on the 15th started the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then the, Passover, the Sabbath of Passover, uh, the day after Sabbath of Passover was First Fruits, and then again 50 days after that. And so really... Uh, you had a gap between the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Pentecost, until you had t- came till the fall in the Feast of Trumpets. And that gap was about five months. Five months in the, in the calendar. And, and that's where we are right now. Not only in this series, but this is where we are in 2019. 
we are in the somewhere in the five months of the in between Pentecost and trumpets. And really, what we're going to look at tonight is this idea that Pentecost was the signaling, signaling of the second wave of harvest. Remember, first fruits was the first harvest. That's why Paul says of Christ that he's the first fruits of the resurrection. Amen? And then 50 days later, the first fruits given to God is always marking off a later harvest that's going to come. And so Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, but that only marks off a later harvest that's going to come, and that's namely the church of Jesus Christ. And the church was established on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 souls were saved. Amen? So as it has progressed, we are somewhere in the summer, but it's getting towards fall. It's getting towards fall, and it's getting towards the seventh month of the year when there would be a trumpet blast on the first day of the seventh month, and that would signal the end of the harvest and the beginning of the seventh month, the sabbatical month, the Feast of Trumpets, Atonement, and Tabernacles. So this is what we're looking at tonight, and this is where we are right now. Now, one more thing to say about where we are. We're in the time of the church. You can label it many different ways, but it's the time of the church. It's the time of God's grace. It's the time of the open door. Remember, Jesus says, I am a door and, and, and enter through me. So the, so the door is Jesus and the door is open. Amen. If this was the ark, if this was Noah's ark, the ark would, the door would still be open. God's hand hasn't shut the door yet. There's still the open door, and there's still the call that goes out across the face of the earth from the east to the west or the north to the south to anyone who would call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. So this is the time. We're in a season of God's grace, the season of the church. But just like every harvest, or just like every uh, a harvest, the harvest would come to an end, right? There's a time when you complete the harvest and you... Bring it in, right? And just like that, also this harvest that's taking place right now, and we're living in the harvest. We're living in the time of the second harvest. Remember last week I coined that new term that you could call us harvesters. We're, children, we're people of the harvest, amen? And, and, um, and so this is where we are right now. And that harvest, we don't know exactly when it's gonna come, but we know that according to scripture, that it is going to come. When? When you hear the trumpet. When you hear the trumpet. So let's look at the Feast of Trumpets tonight. And the Feast of Trumpets is what brought the harvest to an end. Let's look at it. Leviticus 23, pick it up, verse 23. It says this. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial, a blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation, and you shall do no customary work on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. When is the harvest over? When you hear the trumpet. When you hear that trumpet, the harvest is over. The Feast of Trumpets is what brought the harvest to an end. 
The Feast of Trumpets, according to this passage that we just read, took place, takes place on the first day of the seventh month. Israel was instructed to have a, a holy convocation, a, 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 a time of worship, and a Sabbath rest. There was a memorial blowing of trumpets. Now, what's interesting is that this takes place on the seventh month, on the first day of the seventh month. Now, there's, we've talked about this before, but just to kind of brush up a little bit on this, this idea of seven. Seven is, a, is there's, there's some numbers that kind of have some meaning in the scripture, and seven is one of them. Seven is a number. It's this idea of perfection. It's this idea of completion. Best way to look at it that I know of, if you counted to six, or if you counted to seven, you'd get all the way to six, and at six, it's not c- complete in God's, in God's view and the way that God looks at it. But when you get to seven, boom, seven, it's complete. It's done. It's finished. It's in the Greek, it's the word teleos. It's, it's done. It's finished. And, and so the seventh month, the beginning of the seventh month was that time. It was that seventh month of the year. It was the time of the Sabbath rest. It was the sabbatical month. And it was the end of the harvest. It was the, the, the time that marked the end of the harvest, the Feast of Trumpets. Now, in the beginning of the uh, sabbatical month, you had, on the first day, you had uh, Feast of Trumpets. Ten days later, you had what was called the Day of Atonement. And then five days after that, you had the, the Feast of Tabernacles, right? So these are the fall feasts. Now, I want to take you... Uh, just briefly to the book of Numbers. You don't have to turn there. But Numbers chapter 10 is a chapter that, where Israel was instructed to construct two silver trumpets. And in the first few verses of Numbers chapter 10, God gives Israel two reasons, two purposes really, of, for these trumpets. The first purpose was to congregate the people. So when the people heard the trumpet blow, it would gather the people, right? It would congregate the people. And then another uh, purpose of the trumpet was to move them to a new location. So this is what we're going to see. We're going to see where the Feast of Trumpets prophetically has to do with both of those purposes coming into view, gathering the people and moving them to a new location. Amen? And so very interesting. So now, as we've been going through these feasts of Israel, we have noticed, and I hope you've got this, that, that God laid out exactly according on the calendar when they were to celebrate these feasts. He gave the exact month and the day that they were to celebrate these. And Jesus, in his work of redemption, coming to the cross of Calvary in Jerusalem, he fulfilled these things exactly on the day, these feasts, on the day that they were to be fulfilled. Amen? He fulfilled Passover at Passover. He fulfilled unleavened bread at unleavened bread. He was the unleavened one. He gave himself to us as the unleavened one. And then he fulfilled first fruits on the day that they were waving the, 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 the first fruits offering, right? Can you, can, can you just imagine that? And then, of course, uh, Pentecost was fulfilled, is, is, is being fulfilled, but launched on the actual day of Pentecost, the Feast 
of weeks. And just as Jesus fulfilled the feast, the spring feast, on the days in, in the exact way that they were to be fulfilled, I'm of the inclination, <laughs> okay? You could take this or lead this or whatever, but I personally am, um, and, and through much study and all the study I've done on this subject, I'm on the, under the inclination. If Jesus fulfilled the spring feast in the way that he did on the day that he, that he, that he did, I'm, I'm inclined to believe that it's going to be the same as we come to the end and we come to the fall fe- feast, okay? Amen. Now, I am aware when you get into eschatology, which is the study of last things, when you get into eschatology, uh, obviously this is an area within the church where there are different viewpoints. There are different ideas, different positions, different theological understandings of this. And what I'm going to present to you tonight, and then the way I'm going to present it to you is, let me say it this way. I've come to the understanding. Well, let me, let me back up. When you come to the end times, you have these terms that people fall under these different categories, right? Okay, so one of them is pre-trib, there's mid-trib, there's post-trib, there's pre-millennial, post-millennial, amillennial, right? <laughs> and then there's an interesting one that's, that's I tend to give a couple nods to, and that's called pan-millennial. And that means it's all going to pan out in the end. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> Amen? <laughs> But with that being said, with that being said, what I'm presenting to you tonight is the weight of this particular presentation is geared towards two things. It it rests on two things. The order of the feasts, okay? They're, They're in that order because that's the order. Right, And so there's something to that that speaks to me and, and others that there's something to this order. And it is very interesting that we have the church launched at Pentecost. We have this period of harvest that lasts for a period of time. And then the next feast that has yet to be fulfilled is a feast called the Feast of Trumpets. Okay, So that to me is very interesting. So... Um, People, people do differ on this, and I don't, I'm not trying to present this in, in some type of a dogmatic way, and if you don't agree with the way I'm putting it tonight, then you're not saved or outside the church or we can't be friends or anything like that, you know? In that sense, we'll just agree. We'll shake on it to both be pan-millennialists, and uh, we'll see how it turns out in the end. Amen? Amen? So that's the view that I'm presenting. Oh, so the order of the feast, the two things, the order of the feast and the fulfillment of the Daniel 9 prophecy of the 70 weeks, okay? So it's the order of the feasts and the 70 weeks prophecy. Those two things together kind of weigh in here and bring me to uh, the interpretation as I'm going to bring it out tonight. God's trumpet... uh, well, there was a, there was a trump. There's two times that you see a trumpet 
blast where they didn't have a trumpet, where nobody has a trumpet. It's kind of God's trumpet, right? There's the trumpet they had that they obviously used and blew and on the Feast of Trumpets. But there was another trumpet that blew. And when, when God gave the law, there was this blast. When God gave the law, there was this incredible thing that happened, okay? <laughs> the, 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 the glory of God descended down on top of that mountain in an unbelievable way, and God gave the law, and there were the angels, and there were Moses and his attendants with him and all this, and it was an incredible thing, so much so that it spooked the people. <laughs> in fact, there's a later portion of Exodus where, where the people tell, you go talk to God, you know? You go, you know, you go do that. We'll just stay over here, you know? And, and so there's this trumpet that blasts at the giving of the law. And then we see that there's another trumpet that's going to blow, and that's the trumpet of God that's going to blow, that's going to signal this, what, we're, what we call the rapture. We're going to explain that in just a little bit. Um, well, let's dive into it right now. 1 Thessalonians 4, 6, uh, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself, this is Paul, he says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now what you see happening here is what some theologians have called the rapture, the rapture of God's people, the rapture of the church. Now, there, there, obviously there are critics of uh, perhaps a pre-tribulation rapture, but we're not talking about necessarily a pre-tribulation rapture here. We're just talking about the rapture. One of the critiques of the rapture is actually the word rapture. And they say, well, the word rapture is not in the New Testament. Okay, and it's pretty easily explained. When you look at this passage here at First Thessalonians, do you still have it up on the screen? Yeah, keep keep it up there. It says this, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. The word there in the Greek for caught up. You see that caught up shall be caught up together. The word caught up is a Greek word harpazo. Harpazo equals caught up, okay? Now, when they came and they translated the Bible into what we call, the, into Latin, in what was called the Latin Vulgate. It's the Latin translation of the New Testament, all right? And where you have the word harpazo in the Greek, in the Latin Vulgate, you had rapturus. Rapturus is caught up. So where you say, well, oh, the rapture, the word rapture is not in the New Testament. Well, it's not from the New Testament Greek. It's from, it's, it was a term taken. It'd be like us calling it caught up, the caught up, or whatever you want to call it, whatever language. What is it in Spanish? I don't know. You know, help me out. What? Nobody knows? Caught up. How do you say it? However you would say it. 
<laughs> it's complicated, all right? It's complicated. But here's the point. The point is that it's not a matter of this word isn't in the New Testament or the, the, the you know, it's a matter of this is the word of the translation. And so if you want us to call it the harpazo, then that's fine. We can call it the harpazo. So we don't rustle any feathers on that point. Um, so in 1 Corinthians here, or uh, in, in, in um, 1 Thessalonians, Paul's talking about this event. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And this, this, the dead in Christ will rise, and then we who remain on the earth are going to be caught up Harpazo, raptured, whatever term, whatever Spanish word, you know, that's what's going to happen, and that's what Paul's talking about, and this is what, what, what's going to happen. And when's it going to happen? When the Lord descends, and the voice of the archangel goes out, and the trumpet is sounded. Amen? Amen. So this is, this is what we learn from this passage. Now, in another passage, in 1 Corinthians, the apostle Paul writes about the blowing of the trumpet of God at the rapture of the church again. And I'll have that verse of scripture on the screen as well for you. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 52. And it says this, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed, right? So this is what's gonna happen. When's it going to happen? At the last trumpet. At the trumpet. For the trumpet will sound. Okay? So when this trumpet sounds, the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. What's Paul saying there? The dead in Christ rise first. The, the, I don't know how God's going to do it, but Paul, if you read, first, if you read this chapter... It's all about Paul explaining resurrection, and he's talking about this mortal body being a seed, like, like a seed planted in the ground. If you had a seed of a tree, of your favorite tree, what's your favorite tree? Palm tree? <laughs> yeah. I actually, when I taught through, last time I taught through Corinthians, I actually brought up a whole thing of palm seeds, uh, and, 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 and I talked about, you see this seed? You take it home and put it in the ground, and it's going to be a big palm tree someday, Okay. So that's what this body is. It's just a seed, Paul says, and, and, and God's going to change us. God's gonna, he's gone away to prepare a place. He's gone, gone away to prepare that place, and, and he's going to do it. He's gonna, we're going to be raised incorruptible, and those who are, are remaining will be changed, will be changed. And how long of a time is this going to take for this all to transpire? In a moment in a twinkling of an eye, this is going to happen, at the last trumpet, when the trumpet sounds, in a moment, at the twinkling of an eye. Yes. It will happen so fast in a twinkling of an eye. It's not a blink of an eye. It's a twinkling of an eye. There's a, there's a difference between a blink mm -hmm. and a twinkle. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. A twinkling of an eye is the amount of time it takes for the light, for light to travel from the optical nerve to the retina of the eye. This is, this is a, the twinkling of an eye. 
It is a time measured by scientists, and I found this interesting, that you have this twinkling of an eye, not the blink of an eye, but the twinkling of an eye, and the amount of time, and if you look at the distance between the optical nerve and the retina, you're not talking about that long, and we know from, from uh, science that light travels at a very uh, fast pace. It's, it's 186,282 miles per second. And that, that's pretty fast, 186,282 miles per second. This is the twinkling of an eye. Yes. It, is this, it is the smallest measurable amount of time. It is known as the Planck second. A guy named Max Planck went in down, down and did all this stuff with, with quantum physics, and he broke time down. And he kept breaking time down until you could no longer break it down any further. You can't get down below what they call a Planck second, which is 10 to the minus 43 seconds. I don't know, I don't know what happens after that. <laughs> you get down that, I think, I think at that point, you know, if you're going 88 miles an hour, you end up somewhere else, you know. <clears throat> but Jesus is coming at the twinkling of an eye, in a moment, at the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, when that trumpet sounds, we, the dead in Christ will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. Amen? Yes. And this is what's going to happen when? At the trumpet. At the trumpet. Now let's go back to Feast of Trumpets. They would blow the trumpets and commemorate the Feast of Trumpets to commemorate the starting of the seventh month. Actually, if you read the book of Numbers when they, in chapter 10, when they were uh, gave, given the commandment to, to construct the trumpets, there's a command that they would blow a trumpet at the beginning of every month. But when the trumpet blew at the beginning of the seventh month, I mean, you knew that it was the seventh month, right? I mean, like the other day, you knew it was October and not September still, right? the other day, like five days ago? What's today? The fifth? Okay, so five days ago when we crossed over into October, you knew it was October. You knew it was, wasn't September all over again, right? Okay. So the beginning of the seventh month, you would have the blowing of the trumpets on that day at that time. Now, Israel marked the calendars. Now, this is, you, you got to stay with me right here, Okay. You guys stay with me. Mm -hmm. Israel marked their calendars according to a lunar month, a lunar calendar, okay? And if you keep time by a lunar calendar, and Islam still does this today, and that's why they always have like their new moon schedules and all this, okay? When you keep time like this, the new month starts at the sighting of the new moon. The new month, a new month, starts at the sighting of a new moon. And this would happen either on the 29th day, sometime on the 29th day, or sometime on the 30th day. So the question is, how long is a lunar month? Well, no one knows exactly how long it is because you didn't know when the sighting of the new moon would be. You didn't know if it was going to be on the 29th day or the 30th day. It was going to be on the 29th day or the 30th day 
the Feast of Trumpets would begin precisely at the sighting of the new moon, which no one knew when it was going to happen, when the new moon was going to appear. So the phrase, of that day or hour no man knows, is a phrase that the Hebrews would have associated with the Feast of Trumpets. We New Testament 20th century and 21st century Christians associate that with eschatological and rapture teaching that we've had down through the years. But if you were in the first century Israel and Jesus says of that day, no man knows the day or the hour, that's a phrase that was associated with the Feast of Trumpets. Why? Because it's the only feast that begins on the first day of the month. And no one knew exactly when the first day of the month, the moment the first day of the month would start. It was either going to be on the 29th or 30th day. So of that day or, no, or hour, no man knows. Jesus used that expression after teaching the parable about 10 virgins waiting to meet the bridegroom. So, okay. This phrase that is associated with the Feast of Trumpets, because the Feast of Trumpets began on the first day of the seventh month, is a phrase that Jesus uses, and the use, the time that he uses it, is to talk about the coming, the coming of the bridegroom in the context of this ancient wedding model, ancient Jewish wedding model, right? So, so this, is what, this, is the, this is the time that Jesus uses it in this parable about ten virgins waiting to meet the bridegroom. Five were wise and five were foolish. The five wise virgins had enough oil in their lamps to wait, to, to wait for the time. The no, no man know, knew, knew the day or the hour, but you had to have enough oil to get you all the way through that 30th day because you didn't know. So you had to have your oil. The five wise virgins had enough oil for the whole thing, for the long haul. But there were five foolish virgins. Five foolish virgins did not have enough oil for the wait. And so what did they do? They asked the five wise virgins, if they could have some of their oil. And God wants us to share, but there's no sharing of the oil because the oil is the picture of the Holy Spirit in Scripture, and you have to have the Holy Spirit for yourself. If I could give you the Holy Spirit, I would give you. But, and God is waiting and wanting to give, and he wants to freely give you so much, but you have to receive the Holy Spirit. You have to ask, and you have to knock, and you have to seek. And if you ask, seek, and knock, God is going to give. The God who gives liberally is going to give you the Holy Spirit. Don't you know he's going to give you the Holy Spirit if you ask? But you have to ask. We're talking about this in Romans. Paul was literally saying, we just a couple weeks ago, was talking about how Paul says, look, I wish I could be cut off from the faith so that my brothers in the faith, the, 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 Jew, the Jews who have rejected Christ, I wish I could be cut off so they could be saved, so they could know Christ. And it's a beautiful sentiment, but, 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 but you can't do that. And you can't share your oil. You have to have your own oil. You have to have your own oil, and there's, and there's one that wants to give you that oil so that you can be one of the five wise virgins that Jesus is telling about. 
So they had to go into town to buy their own oil. And while they were gone, the bridegroom came. And the five wise virgins were watching and ready. The five foolish virgins were not ready. They weren't there when the bridegroom came. So Jesus finished the teaching on the parable of the ten virgins by saying this, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. You don't know the day or the hour. So you need to be ready. You need to be ready because you don't know exactly when it's going to happen. Now, I think you can know kind of a roundabout. I think you can know the season. Jesus talks about us knowing the times in terms of knowing the season. And, and we're, we're looking at this world and it's very, very interesting some of the things that are happening that are coming on line, some of this stuff that we're looking at that's happening with the advent of the internet, with the advent of, of what this next phase of the internet, which is actually going to be this, this area of the, the cryptocosm. We're going to be venturing out into crypt, cryptocurrencies that, that many people already have in Bitcoin and Litecoin and all this. Facebook is, is, is petitioning the government and all this to have their own uh, cryptocurrency called Li- Libra, which is actually going to, they're trying to weasel their way into, in between every financial transaction. So listen to what's happening. We've got to pay attention to what's happening in our world. And if you read up, study up on Facebook Libra, now I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not up here hammering on Facebook, okay? What I'm saying is, this is what's happening. Facebook Libra is positioning themselves to be in between every financial transaction, even normal transactions. I just read this like yesterday. I can't, I don't know if it was this morning or, or, or yesterday. And I found this interesting because as I was preparing this message, PayPal just pulled out. PayPal just pulled out of being involved in between those those transactions with Libra. So we'll see how that all plays out. The reason why I bring up the cryptocurrencies is because we're heading into a time, and I don't know how long this is going to take to play out, but we're, we're, we're heading into a time when the technology that is necessary for uh, a nation or a person or a a world system to control the buying and selling of things is is coming upon the world very rapidly. And so when you read Revelation chapter 13 and you read the things that are present there at the very end, and and unless you took the mark of the beast, no one could buy or sell, okay, then you can see where this is, this possibly could be going and where we're literally right on the verge of that. Not to mention that we're on the verge of people talking about literally, and I think there already are people that are literally hooked up to the internet with their brain. Okay? So, and all this is like, all this is going to come along. In Revelation 13, when you see this happening, it doesn't say, well, 
They should have known, and the technology came along, and they, they could have rejected it and whatever. It's going to come along. There's going to be good reasons for doing all this. I could lay out all the good reasons for cryptocurrency to you right now. I could give you a little thing about how it's, it's, it's safer. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it has uh, stuff that is protections against fraud and, and hacking and all this stuff. There's, there's a lot of good stuff with it. I'm just telling you, this is what's happening. This is where the world's going. And when you read what's happening at the end, that all financial transactions are being controlled in such a way, no one in the first century, at the end of the first century, 95 AD, certainly not a man that was boiled in oil on the island of Patmos for his faith, could even imagine for a second how someone could control the financial transactions across the earth. And this is what, this is what the word of the Lord that came to John. And so do we know exactly where we are in, in this whole progression of things? It could be, we could be another five years, 10 years, 50 years, 100 years, 150 years for it all to, to play out. Who knows? I, I, my guess is that, and people always are wanting to say, well, when, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? And there was a famous guy that wrote a book in 1988, 88 reasons why Jesus was coming back in 1988, right? And of course, he didn't come, and I think he wrote a sequel in 89, 89 reasons why he was coming and whatever. And uh, so, yeah, those are, those are not on the bestsellers list. But the Feast of Trumpets... Let's go back to that. It was now the seventh month. The sabbatical month was a time of rest. It was the seventh month. It was the time of fulfillment. It was the time of completion. It was the time when things were satisfied, things were complete. There's an idea in Scripture of this idea of completeness, of, of fulfilled or filled that Paul picks up on in the book of Romans. Actually, we'll be getting there very shortly in our Roman series on Wednesday nights. But the idea is where Paul talks about the fullness of the Gentiles coming in. I want to read the scripture for you in Romans chapter 11, verse 25. He said this, For I do not desire, brothers, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So you, so you, you know, we ask about the, you know, there's this idea of the blindness of, the, uh, of, of Israel where they, they read the, the law even with a, you know, with a veil. And, and God has committed them. And, you know, if you read this section of Scripture, Paul's making the argument where he's, He's committing them to this disobedience so that he could have mercy on the Gentiles. And then because he had mercy on us, once again, have mercy on the, on the Jewish people. And there's a, there's a harvest of the Jewish people at the end. But there's this idea of the fullness of the Gentiles. He has, he has that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so there's this idea of the fullness of the Gentiles. And of course, if God is God, if God's a, I'm, 
omniscient God. He's all-knowing. He knows the full number of the people that are coming in, right? He knows the number. There's an exact number. He knows what that number is, right? Try to figure out, well, how many people are going to get saved and who's going to get saved and who's really saved? And God knows who's saved. He knows the number of the people that are going to come in and get saved. It's very interesting that there's two in the New Testament, in the Gospels, there's two miracles of a catch of fish in the Gospels, one at the beginning of Jesus' ministry and one at the end. The one at the beginning of his ministry is this great catch of fish and the nets are breaking and they weren't able to contain all the fish. In other words, some of the fish got away. That was the first one. But if you read the catch the, the, of the miraculous catch after the resurrection in John, it says specifically a couple things. It says none of the fish got away and it gives you the exact number of the fish and it happens to be 153 fish. So what that tells me is that there's a time when people are going to come and go and they're going to slip through the nets and they're going to come back in and whatever. But in the end... There's an exact catch. There's, a, there's the fullness of the Gentiles. There's 153 fish. Now, however that plays, what, I don't know the significance of 153. There's a lot of speculation. You can Google that and tr- figure that out. If you come up with some good ideas on that one, let me know. But I, I would say that the meaning of that is to say that there's an exact number, and God knows the number, and the fullness of the Gentiles is going to come in. So let's wrap this up. He will gather... What Jesus is going to do at the trumpet, he's going to gather his people to himself and move them out. The two purposes of the trumpet blast were to gather the people and to move them to a location. He's going to gather his true people to himself to be with him in heaven. And that's what we learned from those passages. We're going to be gathered to be with him, that where he is, we may be also. Amen? Now, remember the the ancient Jewish wedding. The bridegroom would come for his bride. You see it even in the picture of the the parable as Jesus was telling the parable of of the ten virgins, right? He's actually using that analogy. The bridegroom is away. He's coming. The virgins are waiting for him, the five foolish, the five wise. And the bridegroom is coming. The bridegroom would come for his bride in a surprise gathering, which would be followed by the marriage uh, ceremony and a seven-day wedding feast. A surprise gathering. The true church, called the Bride of Christ, will be gathered together with Christ at at this surprise gathering. We're going to a feast called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. That seven-day feast is going to be, remember we talked about the 70 weeks, 69 of those weeks are complete, which means there's one week out there. The 70th week. 70th week. Just hanging out there. Just hanging. We're right between the 69th and the 70th week. But the 70th week is just, there it is. The surprise, the trumpet blast, the church is called to be with him, the marriage supper of the Lamb, 
the 70th week, which according to this idea of interpreting Scripture would bring about the commencement of the seven-year week of the marriage celebration coupled with the seven-year tribulation up on the earth. Okay, so what's going on in heaven is there's a marriage celebration. What's going on on the earth is the 70th week of God bringing his plan to a culmination. So that's it. Okay, that is it. The Feast of Trumpets. Now, let me just sum this up. Whether you're a pre-millennial, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, pan-millennial, whatever. What I take away from all of this, I can, there's some things that I can take away. But one I want to drive home right now. Be ready. Be ready. No one knows the day or the hour. And if you're listening to my, my voice right now, I want to have your attention. Be ready. Do not be caught unready. Do not be caught in a situation where you have not responded to the word of the Lord. You've responded to the gospel. And that is the word of the Lord.